0: Rural communities often have a larger proportion of elderly residents than their urban and suburban counterparts, contributing to the larger proportion of elderly patients receiving care in rural hospitals. They are also less likely to have access to support at home, adequate resources, and other factors to take care of themselves after they leave. So, how do rural hospitals provide excellent elder care that overcomes the challenges and meets the needs of its vulnerable patients?
1: with a passion for their patients, a willingness to dig deeper, and an unrelenting determination.
0: I'm Rachel Lott.
1: And I'm JJ Hodshire.
0: And this is Rural Health Rising.
1: Welcome to episode 91 of Rural Health Rising. I'm JJ Hodshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital.
0: And I'm Rachel Lott, Chief Communications Officer.
1: Rachel, today we have a return guest one of my best friends in all the whole wide world. Uh, He's been on this show with us in the past a couple times now. Uh, He's passionate about his work here in rural Hillsdale, Michigan, and he has a special interest in the elderly patients we care for.
0: That's right. We are talking with someone who is committed to our patients and our community and who always goes above and beyond in caring for our most vulnerable patients.
1: Our guest today is Dr. Ali Shuker, Director of Hospitalist Medicine at Hillsdale Hospital. Welcome once again to Rural Health Rising, Dr. Shuker. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: To start, Dr. Shuker, some of our listeners uh, have met you before, but some might be new. So why don't you give everyone a refresher and tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and your work here at Hillsdale Hospital.
1: Well, where do I begin? <laughs> when you were a small child. <laughs> I a small child. Actually,
2: this, is, this has become my home over the years. It has. Um, made a lot of friends, family, yeah, brothers. That's right. Um, you know, I've, my background is in internal medicine. I've been here since 2016, a re- residency. Um, I found a second home here. And, you mm-hmm. know, I practice uh, hospital medicine. Um, been doing it. I've got promoted to medical director. That's right. Um, back in 2019. Um, have a strong team behind me, not just on the floor, but in the background, the C suite, led and spearheaded by JJ himself. Mm-hmm.
1: So, Dr. Shooker, with your background, residency was where? Residency was in St. Joe's. Uh, that's in here front, in Michigan, here, right? Here in Michigan, yeah. that's correct. And, um, what, I mean, what, what drew you to hospitalist medicine? Because you're brilliant you could go start your own practice, you probably make millions uh, (laughs) of dollars. And, you know, you're from the metro Detroit area, generally speaking, and uh, you're down here in Hillsdale, Michigan, which, you know, population in the county of 47,000, you know, it's quite the transition. So, you know, talk to us a little bit about what you studied in med school that intrigued you about hospitalist-based medicine and really what drew you to Hillsdale.
2: Well, this is kind of a, I don't know if I'll make a long version, Please, a short version. Um, first, I've always interested in medicine since high school. Um, I think I've mentioned this before. When I went to college, I knew what I wanted to do. Uh, when I went to residency, when it came to choose residency, one of my favorite shows on TV. Let me guess. Uh,
1: General Medicine. No, you mean no. general hospital? General, oh, that's no. what it was. <laughs> that's
2: a little so No, no. Okay, that's a One soap opera. One of my favorite medical that. dramas was was House.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. House right. MD. Right. Um, I forgot you're young. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. I'll be I'll be a year. I was other. gonna say Quincy, you know, MD, but no. you don't remember any of that. Doogie Hauser. Doogie Hauser. Well, there is that. <laughs> yeah,
2: that. That was a movie, but um So that inspired uh, you. Yeah, it does because that show just brought out like a lot of facets of medicine that intrigued me, especially the mystery of it. Yeah. mostly is it's almost like the sherlock holmes of medicine mm-hmm. as and when it comes to internal medicine is to figure out what's wrong with someone mm-hmm. you know you know if you've watched the show and or if you are in medicine you know you have a puzzle you have a you have a problem and you have a lot of tools at your disposal to solve mm-hmm. And when i trained, i trained at a large hospital so obviously i had a lot of tools at my disposal so the puzzles were easy mm-hmm. they're like almost like a hundred piece yeah. puzzle well and
1: resources were unlimited right? unlimited resources I mean... Un-
2: unlo- unlimited not just within the hospital but yeah. within the surrounding hospital. Correct. correct um but when i came to hillsdale i'm more of someone that likes the hard puzzles yeah the ones they have to fix upside down type not that i
1: ever have well, that's here at Hillsdale, though, for your patient population, exa- high acuity, high acuity, very sick. Many of them not uh, receiving medical mm-hmm. care, you know, timely or annually.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, initially, before, prior to me starting, well, when I did start, specialty services were were not as abundant as you find in other other areas. Mm-hmm. Um, so, figuring out issues and problems took a lot more. Mm-hmm. The the complexity just kind of went up higher. Yeah. Um, So, and that, 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 that intrigues me that that's, that's my
1: kind of your sweet spot, isn't it? Why get up in the morning? Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, but I want to ask you hospice hospitalist medicine. Mm -hmm. Um, someone who may be listening to this goes, what is that? Uh, could you explain the model? and you were here, were you here Were you here when we transitioned, or did you come after we'd already made the transition?
2: I came, uh, I think, three, two uh, two and a half years after the, after the transition. transition. So
1: talk to us about what a hospitalist is, what you do, mm-hmm. and why they're important.
2: So hospitalist medicines, you know, usually they're, they're physicians and providers trained in either family medicine or internal medicine, I myself being internal medicine. We are the primary care within the hospital. Right. Previous model to I guess, um, the medical system in America was if a patient was admitted to Dr. So-and-so, when he was admitted to the hospital, their doctor that they see in the outpatient setting will round on them in the hospital. You know, that left room for the doctors, you know, rushing through examinations or, you know, you know seeing patients late led to prolonged hospitalization stays. So, mm-hmm. you know, the model came up, why don't we just have a physician dedicated in the hospital? just to care for hospitalized patients ie hospitalist medicine mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so we, we we treat and diagnose and manage multifaceted of patients um, from all disciplines yeah. um, so we kind of we're like the quarterbacks when it comes to the hospital of directing
1: care yep. throughout the hospital for yeah, the patient. Right. Coordinating that care. Um, in many cases, you, in rural communities, you serve as a pulmonologist, yeah. infectious disease. You know, no. I mean, there, there is yeah, that wear, responsibility. You wear many hats. Now, we're blessed because here we have a pretty, you know, robust continuum of care. But in rural communities, you really don't see a lot of what we're able to offer. Not at all.
2: I mean, in some some lot communities, you know, they... Don't even have a hospitalist. Right. Uh, floors. Correct. You know they stay in the ER as they a, fr- a freestanding ER. Yeah, you're right. You know, so right. um, tell that to someone that's not in America that this happens in America. They'd be yeah. quite surprised because be. yeah. you know when everybody thinks about medicine, American medicine, they think it's you know state of the art. Well, top it's notch. glamorized and and all you have everything. TV, TV drama, TV um, drama. Yeah. So there's a certain expectations. But in reality, that's not always the case. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So, you know, hospitalist, uh, you know, the the guy solving the puzzle, um, that's a little bit about, you know, your profession. But what I want to know, Ian, we've asked you this question before, and we always start with a why. Mm -hmm. And I really want to know, as a person, what motivates you? you know, what gets you up out of bed in the morning to cause you to do the things that you do. Now I want to put a side note here. Sure. The types of things that you do are beyond medicine, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and, Uh, The fact that two summers ago, uh, without anybody knowing, you go down to the local basketball court and you replace the hoops uh, Mm -hmm. in the nets and you jump up on your beautiful Cadillac Escalade, (laughs) uh, which I would have never have done. But anyway, and you, uh, you know, put in, I would have got a ladder and you put in, you know, the the nets and. Uh, for you know a poor community, that means a lot. So I, I know the types of things that you do. You even visit our patients when you're not working, mm-hmm. if they're transferred. Um, but I want to know, what causes that to stir in your heart? What, what, what motivates you to do those things?
2: You know, I don't want to sound like a cliche, but it's really to make a difference to, you know, not necessarily in medicine, but to make an impact on someone's life, because growing up, I've had a lot of people make impact on my life that I remember by. Yeah, I always want to be that to someone else. Yeah, you know, not necessarily through medicine, but through anything, anything life. that I do, yeah. life in general. Yeah, it's that way when people say, you know, they mention or mention my name, it's mentioned in good standing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, what do we leave behind this world when we're, we're gone? Mm-hmm. We leave our name and our legacy. Yeah, it's true. Um. And what and you what do you do with all your talents and your, all your um, things that are handed to or made in this life is kind of what yeah. you're judged by. Yeah. Um. Not that I care what I've judged, but I want to right. be seen as someone that's
1: a positive impact, yeah. not just to my community, but to everybody around me. Well, you certainly are. And your impact here at Tillsville Hospital, you know, and your contribution has allowed you to serve as a medical director where you do a great job uh, providing 24-7 care to our patients mm-hmm. and directing that care. Obviously, you don't provide it yourself uh, 24 hours a day, but you do provide it, you know, probably 18 hours a day. <laughs> uh, and when you're here, you're on point at seven days. It's very you know, intense, um, and you're also assisting us in the emergency department um, where you can, and you're also going onto our skilled nursing facility, and you're responding to codes, and you know it's a significant amount of work. But let me let's segue into something very specific. You know, sure. we serve an elderly population in this community, mm-hmm. and I want you to talk to me a little bit about what role the hospitalist plays in giving care to elderly patients and from your perspective what is that experience like
2: well this actually subject is pretty pretty broad to me meaning you know as i mentioned i've trained in a tertiary facility um in residency it didn't really impact me until i got out here to realize elder care uh that our elderly population how underserved they are um especially in the rural settings um for many different reasons and many known reasons. Some factors are, you know, just logistically, uh, financially, versus, you know, you know, just where they're at in life. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. and it was very apparent to me just from the get-go that the elder population in rural medicine are much, much sicker. Mm-hmm than you would see in urban or community hospitals uh, of larger cities. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and let's talk about that. Why is it? Well, there's a lot of disparities why it is. Um, yeah. One would be, you know, the largest, um, you know, a lot of elderly live in rural communities. Right. Uh, whether it be because of retirement or, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, chose a lifestyle later down in life. Right. Are the kids, you know, that they left the nest yeah. to... Go to other cities, uh, to larger cities for more job opportunities, right. leaving behind mom and dad, mom and dad by themselves. Now, grandma and grandpa. Uh, grandma and grandpa, or great-grandpa. I mean, I've seen a lot of centennials. A lot of, a lot of patients of older age, I've seen quite a few in the hundreds here in this area. I mean, they live a long, lot longer. Uh, they're, not, they're not dealing with the due stress of city life. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. But they do definitely have their own problems. Yeah. Uh, they are very unique. Um the, the elderly live in rural communities tend to be more below well, more below the poverty line than the elderly of the same age in the cities mm-hmm. um, they don't have the, the the resources or access to the resources that they they would if they were to live in the large cities mm-hmm. and they don't have the, the know-how or that they the, they don't know that what things they have for them to offer mm-hmm. they're very isolated mm-hmm. uh, secluded and they tend to do poor when it comes to their medical health. Yeah. And it's very apparent to me. Yeah. Um, The elderly population here in this area are a lot sicker with a lot more chronic conditions.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, and it... I know we're going to probably talk about this later. I know I feel where this conversation is going. and It's a conversation I've always wanted to have. And I usually have a lot of these conversations with with family members or even patients themselves that come Mm -hmm. to the hospital Mm -hmm. when I propose certain things for them and, you know, asking them how to better their environment, better their overall
1: health that they knew not of. Right. You know, and and I think the challenge also when you look at rural communities, um, you know, we talk about poverty. Uh, access to prescription. Yep. Yep. You know, that is a significant concern for elderly, elderly population. In many cases, they are making decisions between paying the light bill and paying for the copay on the meds or... On a vital if, med. On a vital mm-hmm. med. You know, mm-hmm. we know for a fact, and I've intervened in several cases personally where individuals couldn't afford their insulin costs mm-hmm. and you go without your insulin, you know, that's, that's a game changer. I yeah. mean, that's game over at, at certain points. And we've witnessed those people present in the emergency department. The other issue. So, you know, medication disparity, you know, the ability to purchase those meds, which we take for granted when we have good jobs, mm-hmm. it's, you know, good health insurance. The other issue is transportation, right? That's huge. And the lack of transportation is number one in our community. We have, we have a public transportation in the city only, Dial ride, business hours. No weekends. No weekends, not bringing in from Camden, Waldron, and those Mm. communities. And we see that in a lot of rural communities, lack of transportation. So truly, they're homebound. Mm -hmm. uh, They have no vehicles, uh, or they can't drive. Isolated, so depression, uh, untreated, can't get your meds. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, you know you have poor healthcare outcomes they can't get
2: to, they can't get to their uh, the physician appointments yeah. follow up yeah. appointments mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. check up on their chronic keep their chronic conditions in check yeah everything spirals downhill and you know
1: a lot of them meet an untimely death oh, they do and how many cases when when you've been practicing medicine here would you hear that story like doctor sugar i we couldn't get in we couldn't you know we didn't have a car we didn't i mean i want i want a sense of this country because this is a national podcast to hear what we're facing in rural communities. What? How many of those cases are you hearing?
2: There's a great majority of those cases. Um, I mean, it's astronomical the numbers, and you know, the disparity how much I hear about it. It's almost yeah. almost every case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, there, there's some sort of issue within the elderly care that may, if if corrected, may have not let them up to be hospitalized or right. taking a worse turn in their overall health. Yeah, right. You know. So, you know, I kind of always want to educate, yeah. you know, bring awareness yeah. that, you know, yes, we live in trying times, but we're doing things differently now and providing more for this sub-sub mm-hmm. population mm-hmm. in order to stop that from happening, to put a halt, to help ease the burden of aging.
1: Yeah absolutely because,
2: you know nobody ages gracefully
1: no you it's know, rare I mean, it, that they it, do it it's if, a blessing yeah but and especially if you're in poverty yeah you know aging can be very hard on you yes uh not but, having access to vitamins and having access to your your scripts
2: but not just hard on the patient themselves hard on their families
1: oh family who's maybe you know who who may have moved away and they cannot get home to mom and dad or, uh, or grandma and grandpa
2: or they're living with the grandma and grandpa and they can't themselves take, and they can't take care of them anymore.
1: correct Correct, because they themselves may have conditions. Chronic, chronic conditions. So it's a yeah, spiral effect. It is. It's a, it's a
2: vicious cycle. It is. Um, so, you know, here at Hillsdale Hospital, we we want to bring awareness to try to help alleviate and, you know, guide better care for the elderly here yeah. the population we
1: serve. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. And I know that Rachel has a question that she wants to ask before we jump into too much of that.
0: What types of conditions do you typically see in your elderly patients? How much of the complexity is due to unmanaged chronic conditions versus really severe acute conditions maybe that come up and are just more difficult because of the patient's age?
2: Well, what type of conditions? We see the hospitalized conditions for your typical heart failure, diabetes, um, kidney issues, uh, pulmonary issues, Mm -hmm. um, infectious issues, uh, orthopedic issues, um, a lot of fractures, hip fractures and elderly uh, populations. Mm -hmm. Um, You know... And then, you know, even with the, those conditions themselves, there's, there, you can, you can bring that further when it comes to diabetes. You have the complication of diabetes, of coronary artery disease, you know, hypertension, um, heart issues themselves. You know, when, when they tend to present with these cases, they've come with multiple, I like to call flare of these conditions mm-hmm. at the same time.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and the second part of your question—it's not, not just one. It's not one. You know one. what? What amazes me is when you tell me a story of a patient uh, who will present, and it's five. It's five issues that you're dealing on. with. Yeah. You know, they've not addressed the the um, abscess tooth. They have, you know, feet are swelling, legs are swelling, uh, and then they're in for COVID or they're in for something unrelated mm. to even some of those diagnoses, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. now you're managing complex uh, cases. And guess what the government tells us? Well, what was her an initial admission? Right. Toothache. Yeah. Oh yeah. But, but and the government says, all right, you have
2: X amount of time. As a physician, you cannot ignore the other issues Correct. at the same time. I mean, no, you have to, you have yeah. to do right by the patient yeah. you, all the time. Um, because this is a, this is, a, this may be the only opportunity they're going to see a provider yeah. for God knows how long. And the other right. conditions
1: are going to spiral out of right. control
2: if left unchecked.
1: Absolutely. So, you know, as a hospitalist medicine... You a small window to capture and them and to get them healthy to the extent that and you edu-
2: can. And educate them yeah. of
1: the services that are available to them Right. Uh, that they would have never knew otherwise had they not come to we're Yeah, to and our we're going to talk about that in a minute, but let me ask you one more question sure. as a follow-up to this. Uh, depression in seniors. Mm-hmm. um, you're, are you seeing an increase in this? Um, you know, there's obviously seasonal depression, but you know, the population that you're, that you're working with the elderly, let's yes. just focus on them. Um, are, are you seeing, what, what do you see as it relates to depression in the elderly? There is a big uptick in depression. And I say that with lightly because
2: when it comes to the elderly, when you talk about depression, you know, the, the two D's go together, depression and dementia. Some yes. peop- some people mistaken dementia for depression and vice versa. Um, you know, a lot of the elderly are living alone yeah. nowadays. Uh, there has been a lot of uh, changes, especially with the the elderly's financial situation. Yeah. Yeah. that leads to depression. Um, a lot of a lot of elderly couples have lost their spouse when it came to COVID. There was a very there was a large disparity uh, of yeah COVID deaths the, amongst the elderly, leaving. Uh, and they're all sudden, leading the other spouse left with mm-hmm.
1: depression. Yeah. Uh, so coping we, skills, very difficult. Or the spouse dies and they take the only income, which is Social Security.
2: Yes. And, and the family as well. Yeah. Um, but then again, depression usually goes untreated and unnoticed in yeah. the elderly population. Yeah. Because a lot of people mistaken it or just throw it off as
1: mm-hmm. part of getting old yeah it's part of aging right yeah they're just they're withdrawn they're, they're sleeping a they're, lot yeah. they're naturally going to sleep a lot because but that's old. concerning they're not eating right know, they're know. scaling back on food they're sleeping more yeah, but those are all not, symptoms and signs they're, of they're not, depression
2: yes and they're not going to bingo night because they can't walk yeah so they lose interest in the things they normally would do right they and they're go. justified
1: because oh they're just, they're just getting, getting older. old yeah, yeah. it's mm-hmm, hard for them to mm-hmm, walk yeah but it's you know Yeah. And in contrast, my wife's grandfather, so on her side, uh, is 95 maybe and drives. And he's, yeah. you know, he's out and about. And, you know, so you you can't use the mentality and framework of saying that, well, they're just getting old, so they're, they're just giving up. Yeah. Um, in many cases, that's where we see depression linked up. Mm-hmm. And then it can have, obviously, so you have the psychological impact, but it also can lead then to some physical yes. uh, impact as well. Because when someone's depressed,
2: I mean, you think they have lack of motivation for self-care. You know, to go to their appointments, to get their medications yeah. filled, to yeah. eat, to take their medications. And in turns,
1: their conditions start getting worse. They worsen. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. you know, this all could have been avoided. Yeah, You mentioned something earlier. You said that patients uh, that live alone. All right. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about that because that's a real threat in my mind to to our elderly patients. Uh, patients is that uh, they are living alone uh, and with little or no care, uh, and especially in rural communities where, you know, it's very difficult to get those services in rural communities, you know, sure. even Meals on Wheels, mm-hmm. uh, very difficult, uh, which, you know, big cities, they boast of, you know, being able to deliver food. You can, you can call Grubhub, yeah. right? You can, you can there's that doesn't exist in Hillstone. There's no Grubhub. Uh, and so, you know, for the patients that you see that live alone, let's talk about them sure. primarily, with mm-hmm. no family around, mm-hmm. Um, you've probably had to dance around some of these issues in your past. And I guess my question to you is how is your care plan different for a patient who let's, let's just take a, an example. They're in their eighties. They live alone. Family lives in California, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, she's widowed, um, and she has some comorbid conditions. You notice some things aren't just right. How do you manage that with a family in California? Um, you know, when it comes to making decisions for their care? Let's focus on that. So you pretty
2: much just described the majority of patients that yeah. other patients we see because they fit in that same category. Yeah. Um, you know, they don't have family around. So when a patient comes in the hospital, you know, obviously, I want to see what the mentation is. Usually yeah. they have some... Um, mental deficiencies. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be because mm-hmm. of the conditions they currently have. But, you know, I always want to have family involved in their care. You know, I always ask which family members do I want to get involved? Right. You know, some some patients have multiple family members that are
1: involved. And, and some a lot involved. <laughs> uh, some a lot involved with different opinions. <laughs> with all different, opinions. With all different I, opinions. I've had to work with you on some of those. Yes. And, but and, let's, say the, let's say the elderly patient that has no family or that live in California. How are you managing that? So
2: I call California because I, I'm... I have to do what's right with the patient. I, I approach it as if I'm treating my own grandmother or grandfather.
1: Yes, which you know, I appreciate. Wh-
2: I would want the doctor to call me. Hey, grandma's in the hospital. You know, I haven't, I haven't seen my grandma in, in months, right? And mm-hmm. I get a call, doctor, telling me he's in the hospital. But then again, I'm asking them questions that I, they probably wouldn't know because they don't know what
1: their baseline is, right? Exactly.
2: So, yeah. and that because that that that's challenging for a physician, as. I'm trying to treat something that may not be reversible mm-hmm. as if, you know, is this actually delirium? Is this dementia or is this depression? Mm-hmm. You know, because delirium is most likely reversible, you know? So I'm trying to treat someone yeah. not knowing where the end line would be. Now, could this patient be uh, no longer able to care for herself? Yeah, You know, she, I can't send her home anymore. Right. It's not safe. It's, for not, safe it's, not, for it's her. not safe for her. No one can take for her. She's yeah. a fall risk. She doesn't take her medicaid now.
1: We have to place this patient. Yeah. And this is the stuff. Let's let's preface this before you start talking about that. Sure. This is the this is the stuff that is heavy on our minds as administrators, and as you know, care professionals. Mm-hmm. Because this is the stuff that you don't see on TV. This isn't the no. glamorous stuff. These are the tough decisions we have to make, which includes and not limited to even getting the courts involved. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that scenario. Carry it out for us. So
2: once the patient is deemed medically stable. Which you know doesn't take too long. Yeah. You know we do we do a battery of tests um, to assure medical stability. But once you get medical stability and they're not mentally stable and they're not cognitively there, yeah. they're deemed incapable of making medical decisions. Now we're gonna find out who's gonna make medical decisions for them because going mm-hmm. forward, mm-hmm. any paper legal document signed, you know, rendering treatment, not rendering treatment, discharge yeah. has to be signed by by a competent individual. Yep. Patient's not competent. Now we we have a whole different issue on our hand. Correct. Is it going to be the courts? Is it going to be family members? Is it be Is there someone? Is there a living will? You know, is, have they been? Is there a dual power of attorney? Is there a medical attorney? Um, medical appointed medical
1: personnel. Yeah. You know, in many of these cases, there's no POA. There is there's, none. there's no durable power of attorney. There's no medical power of attorney. So.
2: You know, they teach us in med school and residency to do what's best interest of the patient. Yeah. But that doesn't uh, but doesn't allow me to send anyone where I want to send them or no. so we have to wait you know at times we have to wait for a court reporting guardian a court appointed guardianship yep. at times there's family members that would step up that are in the best interest of the patient but then we look for facilities you know long-term care facilities but then you run into the I've run into many issues where the patient cannot go home family members cannot take them to their home However, they are the medical power of attorney. Patient has stated they do not want to be placed in a nursing home at, at all. And we're stuck in Yeah, at, You're stuck in the middle. Stuck in the middle. Okay, so what do we do? You know, there's no other choice. There's this big, you know, stigma about nursing homes. You know, I'm not going to stick mom in a nursing home. Right. But I don't want to take care of her, but mom can't take care of herself. Yeah. You know, but the, being inside the hospital, living inside a hospital is not the answer either right what do we do right you know so we face these issues all
1: the time multiple times a week numerous um too numerous to even count at times
2: you know and it's not and then at the end of it it's the patient that's sitting there waiting for anyone to make a decision for her or for him. and i I, my heart always goes out for them because i know they're going to be Place in their home. They're gonna live out the rest of their life not at their home, right? Mm-hmm. Which would not be been a safe place to begin. Which, in my opinion, should have been there years prior. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. Um, you know, I always you know when I have elderly patients that come, that I normally see that are cognitively intact. They're, they're still lucid. Mm-hmm. They still make decisions. I always take the few minutes to talk to them about if they've had these tough conversations with their 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 loved ones yeah have they had do they have a living will do, do they have they appointed a power uh, durable, durable medical uh, yeah, power of attorney. attorney um to do so so you don't put other family members yeah. in the middle yeah. make these decisions for you lay these out because you know having these tough conversations when you can yeah saves a whole lot of time and money for the patient patient's family yeah. later
1: what's really um you know troubling to me and uh I've been doing this now for almost 14 years in healthcare, and uh, it's the number of patients, typically elderly, that we see in which the family refuses. They don't even return our calls Mm. to get involved. We've had those. We then have to go to the courts. Yep, they drop them off in the ER, and and that's it. Adios. They they're don't leave, done. you don't leave a callback number. They're, when they're, I share that story, Doctor Sugar, people go, "No, that no, this is what it, we deal with. It, it happens all." And time. and we don't call it stuck with the patient, but the patient is placed here, uh, and we now have to petition the courts. Sometimes taking weeks months. to be able. Yeah,
2: been, uh, we've, we've had, had we've, we've had, had, months we had, before. We had months before months before patients yeah. been yes. spent several holidays with us yes um medically stable correct. But nowhere to go, nowhere to go, and no one will take her.
1: No one will. And family goes, nope, we don't, we can't take mom in. We can't do this. We have to get the courts involved. You know, and that's what we find as a significant concern to wellness of these patients. Yeah, um, being here in our bed is not the appropriate place for them.
2: But you know, some of these cases, well, more of the case. I always like to look at perspective, patients' perspective, family's perspective. You know, sometimes these patients, yes, true, they are sick and they are complex and their medical needs outweigh whatever family member they can give at home, you know? Yeah. And it's not, they're dropping off in the hospital and abandoning them. It's they knew the hospital or the health systems will treat them better than they would do at home. And it's sad, it is because sad because they have there's, there's limited many, resources, limited resources, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. caregiver fatigue. Some of the caregivers that are taking well, home, don't know, 24 seven are not properly given yeah. the appropriate care. No. For the, for the, for right. the loved one. Absolutely. Although their
1: and their intention is. Right. But, um. Their intention is to give good care, but you know what? They're limited, right? They're limited. They may not have the funding and they great. may not have transportation themselves. And this is what the pandemic, you know, intensified, uh, this. The
2: pandemic, not just the economy and the inflation, because the caregivers are, so you know, they'll pick up the Medicaid. How about, you know, when the, a lot of, I've heard a lot of time where their elderly medication prices went up, went up and the person. Responsible picking it up don't have they don't have the resources. They're copay. They're copay. Yeah, they used to, but we hear that medical plans change. yep they're they 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 can't afford it. Right, so what loss do they of do?
1: jobs, loss of income, so they don't give them the proper
2: care. It's almost right. on the borderline of neglect, where you know they need this. Yeah, but you can't. You're not giving it to them for X yeah. amount of reasons.
1: We had an elderly pastor in our community that. uh came in a few months ago and he shared a story with me that, uh, he stopped taking a certain medication that was costing a thousand dollars a month. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he really needed this medication and in service to God, uh, you know, you don't get paid a lot in small wow. little communities, uh, being a pastor. I mean, it's, it's a few hundred dollars at times, uh, in churches that are struggling with small congregations, don't have big giving. And anyway, it's just, it, it, it's a, a reality that we face in rural America of the challenges of our elderly population that do not have access to families, transportation, suffering depression, alone, um, and all of these things, you know, they boil up mm-hmm. and and they create a very bad situation
2: for the whole system at large. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, you know, that there are times, many times, where I find that to be true, where patients are in the hospitalized for not taking their water pill. You know, they're in here for overload or, or whatever reason for They're not taking a pill for financial reasons. Yeah. Um, knowing that, you know, their blood, their, their drug plan changed. Yeah. Uh, that the drug that they, they used to take that the doctor keeps writing for them, they can't take because they can't afford it. But you look for an equivalent medication that's cheaper, on a, but uh, that they had, they didn't know that their doctor could have written for that it would have been able to take. You know, they don't have these, and they're not able to go to their physician to have these conversations. Again, transportation wise, um, lack of resources. Um, so there's a lot of things that the elderly population just do not know. Yes, absolutely.
0: Of course, specialty care is important for many of your patients, and we do have quite a variety of specialty care either on-site or remote that we can access at Hillsdale Hospital, but it hasn't always been that way. So how did you manage before we had as much specialty care as we do now, and how has the addition of those specialists impacted your care and your patients?
2: Yeah, so in the last few few years, we've actually... Made a lot of positive changes there here at the hospital, which I'm very proud of, and you know, spearheaded by JJ himself. Oh, um, thank you, Doctor. You know, couldn't uh, do it without
1: you and the team that we have. Absolutely, uh, team effort. Uh,
2: but you know, for specialty care medicine, you know, to get a spe- you know, it's it's known, um, elderly care lack uh, lack uh, ability to see a specialist in rural medicine because as a specialist, they don't practice normally in rural medicine because there's not the patient population for them. Uh, there's not enough. Of the patient population in order to build a specialty practice, for instance, nephrology, um, uh, vascular surgery, mm-hmm. uh, et cetera. Um, but that doesn't mean it's not needed in a, in, a, in the, in the healthcare center. Yeah. Um, so in the beginning, when I first started, I did not have these, the, these services, but I was reaching out to many colleagues in the area, um, Reach out, uh, reaching out for other resources, sometimes even transferring patients to see these specialists because they needed them. And then over time, you know, it was it was just over a few years, it realized these services will flourish in rural communities. You know, with the change of technology, we're like, we can, we can offer these. Yep. Um, and then programs started to build. And, the, you know, one thing came out of the pandemic um, was when everything went tele. Mm-hmm. Then these mm-hmm. tele services were, were brought in to fill a need. Yep. And now, you know, three, four years, uh, four, four or five years ago, when you know there was no access to nephrology here, now we have access. We, 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 we've created a need. We, we, sorry, we did not create. We proved that there was a need, right, right. And we brought that. We brought that need and filled it, right.
1: Which is critically important in rural America that you don't have patients again without transportation mm-hmm. who can't travel to specialty mm-hmm. care, bringing in the services that we've been able to bring here patient taken care of in their local community. I think yes. that is just so, so important and powerful. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, let's talk a little bit about, and our time is really escaping us, and uh, you know, there's, there's one more question I want to ask you, and it's relative to the discharge process of a patient. Um, and many times you're functioning as a social worker, a uh, pastor, um, a family member, you know, a friend, a mentor, a financial advisor, taking them home, even following up on them. So when it comes to the discharge of elderly patients, you know, without a lot of resources at home, whether it's home care, Meals on Wheels, um, what does that process look like for you? When you walk in that room, you see that 85 year old, you know, widowed, lady laying in the bed getting ready to be discharged you've talked to her son in california mm-hmm. your heart's breaking because you're trying to number one even get her a ride home yes. right talk to us about how that looks in rural uh, health care and then i'm going to challenge you i'm going to ask you how how can we change that but tell us what it looks like right now
2: so what it looks like now i mean challenging an elderly patient for me is one of the challenging um parts of my job because it takes up a lot of my time mm-hmm. uh because I, I incorporate a lot of disciplinaries in order to do so. It's not just okay. You're medically stable. Go home. I sign the paper. Do your discharge, and we're done with it. Um, when I go in the room telling other patient you're going home, they light up like a Christmas tree. Yeah. But I tell them I have it'll, it's been taking me a few hours because I, there's a lot of lot of things I have to keep make sure are aligned mm-hmm. in order to do so. I you know for instance I get a lot of services involved such as our case manager discharge planner our social mm-hmm. worker mm-hmm. our dietitian. Our physical and occupational therapists—they um, all have to check off to make sure that the services we can offer are mm-hmm. delivered to the patient in a timely fashion. I—I um, I make sure I call if they're elderly and they have children. Um, I would just, i would just hope you know they appreciate me calling them, that I know how mom and dad did, what what next steps are, just so. I can, I'm, I'm sure that they'll follow up like, hey, mom needs to see a cardiologist next week. So make mm-hmm. sure you you know follow up on an appointment because elderly patient, you can't always trust that they're going to remember. Yeah. Um, you know, you can write in a discharge paper, but you can't always trust that they're going to look at that paper. Yeah. Um. Kind of give the overview for another uh, another family member of what's going on just so everyone's on the same page and can remind the patient. Um. Also, always have pharmacy involved to look over the medications once again, if there's any interactions with uh, certain medications, because as, as you age, you know, there's certain medications that elderly should stay away from. Um, just because you've been taking it for 30 years doesn't mean you should be taking it at your age now because now they're more prone to side effects. Um, so, and then, you know, some of the things that I take in consideration is if they have food at home, you know, if they got to take medications with food, when was the last time they went grocery shopping? Yeah. Do they have the proper? Uh, um. You know, here in in our area, we I always ask about their heating. You know, in rural medicine, So not everybody's um privy to natural gas uh heating. A lot of people use wood burning stoves. Uh, if they do, I ask if they have you know certain questions that I ask. Do they have enough wood for the wood lesson for you know during the cold spell? Uh, who checks up on them? Um, you know, how are they going to get to the next appointment? Yeah.
1: Because- so when they tell you that they don't. Can't get to the next point what do you do
2: we try we try to reach out to you know see if i can get them placed in you know uh rehab facility or assisted living facility if they meet criteria for i try to uh, give them any all resources that they may benefit and have that they didn't know um try to explore all avenues but you know ultimately you know sometimes that doesn't always work for us you know, patient ultimately goes back home and, you know, two, three weeks later, we're back to square one again. And, you know, that's, it's not like we, we failed on the first time. It's just the way our system is made or is yeah, it is designed, it is. yeah. Designed. designed for that.
1: Yeah. And, you know, this is one thing that needs to be looked at mm-hmm. further. If there's one thing that you wish you had a magic wand that you could wave as it relates to our elderly patients in terms of this social situation what would it be i mean when you think about what you're discharging right now the number of patients that are going home you know is it is it resources is it family what is the number one that if you could impact and empower and change this particular very serious situation would it what area would it be the number one,
2: it's going to be resources. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I have to follow that up with number two is mental state. Mm -hmm. Um, As people get older, it's okay to go live somewhere. Yeah. You know, even with your family, even with your family. Yeah. You don't need to live in a 3000 square foot farmhouse. You've been living there for the last 60 years. It's not conducive. It's not safe to do so by yourself. You're, it's gonna be more harm. Yes, that's what you want, but is it the right thing to do? You know you you're isolating yourself from everyone. Um, and lastly is literally literally for Medicare to be more fluid in this economy, to be more mm-hmm.
1: adaptive. To and we didn't rehearse this, no, so it's not like you're uh, but but
2: you're yeah. spot on because it hurts me when I when I see patients that that worked all their lives on retirement, they're there, there was they solely rely on social security, mm-hmm. they can't afford a meal or a simple medication, yeah, it's like they went through all their lives, busted their behind. It, but they can't afford a medication they can't. or the next, they don't know where their next meal is coming from.
1: Yeah. It's uh it's a daunting, yeah, and it's very a, daunting. And it's thought. getting worse. Yeah. The challenge has never been as real as it is today, Dr. Shooker no. to empower, you know, families to check in on their loved ones, their elderly loved ones, their parents, their grandparents, and to, and to really, understand that they could be the bridge to making sure that mom, dad, grandma, grandpa could live another four to five years. Um, If these things are detected early, what we know is, you know, early detection is early prevention. Mm -hmm. And if we can detect something and, you know, in, in this population early on, it's not going to be as costly down the road. Uh, It won't result in them having to have rehab down the road, potentially. Mm -hmm. It's really putting your eyes as a family member on your loved one. And I think that is so important. We, we, we have neglected and thought uh, that, you know, well, it's, it's mom's responsibility to take care of grandma, grandpa. Why isn't it yours? Yeah. So... I, I
2: I mentioned this to a group of colleagues one day, you know we we've had these conversations because you know when we talk about cases it's always an elderly I've got an elderly patient one time come in it always starts you know the cool cases are why not but one of my I guess one of the niches I'm gonna want to push for is declaring a day an elder day called an elder we have Mother's Day we have Father's Day we have best friends day you have grandpa Grandpa Day but I think we should have a day that's called elder day. Mm-hmm. And that day should be dedicated to visiting an elder person in your family or friends and to see how they're doing, to, to have these conversations with them, to connect to them. Because we go, you know, throughout our lives, you know, not really paying attention to them in general, you know, that elder, the elder day should be kind of constructed over. Okay. You know, do you have your will to help them, ask them these questions, start these conversations with them. And because not a lot of people wouldn't want to talk about the last days of their lives. No. You know, the last it's hard years. to talk about, right? You know, nobody looks forward. Everybody's looking for the golden years, but yeah. we're all going that route. We're yeah. all, you know, hopefully we all have a smooth and, yeah, you know, fun retirement. Yeah. But as with everything, everything comes to an end and it's how you end it. You know, you got to have
1: these conversations now on how mm-hmm. that process is going to look. That's right. Speaking of ending hard to believe. Dr. Shuker, uh, the time with you has been invaluable. We appreciate your perspective. Uh, Providing medicine in rural America is difficult. Uh, This is just one segment that we're talking about today. And we're going to be talking about other areas, uh, you know, social work, caseworkers, pharmacy, um, you know, and and things inspired, uh, you know, by your text to Rachel and I about uh, opportunities for episodes like this to raise awareness Mm -hmm. of these very vulnerable populations. So once again, thank you so much for joining us today on Rural Health Rising. It's been great to have you on the program. My pleasure. And before we go, we like to do a fun segment with each of our guests. We want to know, what is your most unique rural experience or one of your favorite memories that is unique to rural life? Now, listen, you have been in the big city of Detroit and around those areas, and then you moved to Hillsdale. And uh, I would say a little different than what you were accustomed to, maybe, right? Yes, yes. Um, I mean, so what's unique? What was unique about that? Well,
2: I'm, I'm talking, You asked me about my unique situation yeah. or yeah. experience I had, and it had to have been in my early years when I was here, when I first encountered my first Amish patient, when I had to give him insulin to treat his <laughs> diabetes. Okay. Insulin, as you know, is refrigerator kept. Yeah, and it was summer month. So, knowing so, I wrote the insulin and I asked myself, wait, it's supposed to be refrigerated. How's that going to help? <laughs> so, I, I had to learn really quick and ask questions for people that, you know, have worked in the hospital for a while. How would I go about doing this? Never thought I'd ever be in this situation. And, and you know, there's I you know I learned that there's, there's special, you know, parishes will give permission. They do. To have an outbox or
1: refrigerator yeah. set outside. Yeah. And you know I had to fill out a permission slip. Oh yeah, the leader will allow well, it. or Will yeah, allow it. So that was my first. So, so here you are trying to provide, uh, you know, medical necessity for a population, and yet ask permission if you could store the insulin in a Refr- common area a yeah. refrigerator because they obviously don't have electricity. Yes. Uh, and did they allow it? Yes, they allow we'll it. See, that is a unique. Rural experience Mm -hmm. that most folks are not going to experience. Not at all. In the greater Detroit or metropolitan areas. So, once again, Dr. Sugar, thanks for joining us today on Rural Health Rising. Thank you. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll have another great conversation with another great guest. So be sure to tune in.
0: And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising.
1: And you can now find us on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong.
0: Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. Hosted by JJ Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. Special thanks to today's guest, Dr. Ali Shuker, Medical Director of Hospitalist Medicine at Hillsdale Hospital. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit RuralHealthRising.com.